Isaiah chapter 37, and uh, begin reading with verse 14. Maybe I should uh, give a little history uh, before I read the scripture. The Assyrians had uh, conquered part of the nation of Israel. Of course, after the reign of Solomon, uh, the kingdom was divided, the nation was divided into two parts. Uh, the uh, ten tribes called the northern kingdom, and then the two tribes called the southern kingdom. The Assyrians had come and conquered the land, these ten tribes, the major portion of the land was Samaria as the capital, and carried the people off into captivity and repeopled the land uh, with, uh, with their own people. They uh, now are in the process of trying to conquer Judah, the other two tribes, and uh, the captain of the Assyrian army mocks the, uh, uh, the people of Israel and uh, uh, basically asks for a surrender. Sends a letter demanding this, and we'll begin reading from verse 14 and say a few more things about that in a moment. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up unto the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims, thy art the God. Even thy alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear all the words of Sennacherib, which has sent to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their countries, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. Let us pray. Precious Lord, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for another privilege to preach. And Lord, how I need you today as always. And I pray for physical strength. I pray, O God, for wisdom and power. And may I just be a vessel that you would fill and use. You know every heart, you know every need. I pray the convicting power of the Spirit of God would be upon this congregation today. Save that one that's lost without God and revive your people. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Let me speak to you on the subject, only God. Uh, here, this uh, Rabshakeh had uh, defied the God of heaven. And uh, one of the things that he was saying was, look at all these other nations. They trusted in their God. They thought their God would deliver them, but their God never came through. Their gods failed. Your God will be just like theirs. Your God will fail you, and we will be victorious. The best thing you can do is really surrender, and we will take you to a, another land, and, and uh, a land that's similar to your own land here. Well, Hezekiah, of course, was, was a good king. You might remember about Hezekiah that he, uh, he's the king that later on uh, the Lord said, set your house in order, you're going to die and not live. And he prayed and asked God for more time and the Lord added 15 years to his life. Uh, so he was a good man, a good king. He had taken away the false gods and the worship of these, uh, the high places of these idol gods. 
In fact, this uh, Syrian captain, he said, why is it not, don't trust in Hezekiah, said he's the one that has removed your high places. God won't come through for you, uh, but the Lord did come through, and God uh, gave great deliverance. Uh, the, uh, again, this letter and this message was sent to Hezekiah, and Hezekiah goes before the Lord and spreads this letter out before God and says, Lord, uh, you know about this, and, and this king has reproached the living God, and basically, Lord, make yourself known. Let the people know that there is a God in Israel and that uh, he is uh, uh, able to, to bring deliverance. This thing's giving some problem there for some reason. But uh, I'd like for us to think about this God. Uh, of course, uh, the, the story ends with, uh, uh, with the angel of the Lord coming that night and killing 185,000 of the Assyrian army. Uh, and they, the remnant, of course, goes back to the land. So they don't have to lift a, uh, any, any weapon in battle. God brings a great deliverance there. We are serving a great God. The God we serve is omnipotent. Revelation 19.6 tells us, and Mark 10.27 says, With God all things are possible. That word omnipotent simply means that God is all-powerful. There's nothing God can't do. God has all power. God is omniscient, which means he is all-wise. Uh, the God knows everything. I think of that, and I, I'm amazed at the wisdom of God, that uh, there's nothing about any subject that God does not know more than man knows. He knows all there is to know and a whole lot more. Uh, we have an all-wise God. Uh, you know, the devil doesn't know everything. You know, a lot of times we tell the devil, don't we? You know, that's one reason why the Lord tells us we ought to pray instead of worry or complain. Uh, sometimes we, we let the devil know these things and he takes advantage of it. But God is omniscient. God knows everything. Then God is omnipresent. That means God is everywhere present. The Lord can be with us here at this church. He can be, he can be somewhere else with another church. He is, he is everywhere present. When we leave here today, we'll go in different directions. But God will go with everyone that's saved. God's omnipresent. In Psalm 139, he talks about the omnipresence of God. If I sin in the heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. God is everywhere present. And, and Hezekiah here in verse 20, Now therefore, Lord our God, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. He said the way reason I want you to save us is not so we can go out and brag about what we've done. And you notice, God did it in such a way that God only could get the glory out of it. That they couldn't take the glory. And he said that the kingdoms, that the rest of the world may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. Now only God can create. In our opening this morning, I read there in Genesis about the creation of man and about the peeled down man article, how that 
proved to be a great hoax. And, and a lot of the supposedly evidence that they have to support evolution is not evidence at all, but it's a, a pack of lies. God is the creator. Only God can create. The word create means to make something out of nothing. Now, I can't do that, neither can anyone else. Man has been able to, to bring about great uh, inventions and even gone to the moon and back, and they're talking about going to Mars and all this sort of thing. I don't know why far. <laughs> they say that one of the reasons is to find the origin of the universe. Well, we could save millions of dollars and just get a copy of the Bible. <laughs> Uh, that'll tell you where it all started and where it all came from. But, uh, but anyway, they, uh, they have been able to achieve great things. But everything that man's been able to do, he's had to take raw material and do it. This pulpit stand one time was a tree. Everything that we can see with our eyes that man has built was built out of something else. But God can take nothing and make something. They talk about in evolution the missing link. Well, that's the problem they have. You know, uh, uh, they always go back to the place. Uh, they say, well, uh, at one time we was a blob of matter in, in, the, in the ocean. But they can't tell you where the blob came from. Uh, uh, they say there was a big bang uh, in, in, in billions of years ago, but they can't tell you where, where that came from that caused the Big Bang. They always end up with, uh, with where do you start? You have to start with something. And of course we have the answer uh, in, uh, in the Word of God. God is the Creator. And I told you the little, I think it was Billy Kelly I first heard uh, the little poem about, uh, about evolution says, Once I was a tadpole with a tail long and slim. Then I was a frog with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey hanging from a tree. Now I'm a doctor with a Ph.D. So if you believe, if you believe evolution, that's what you believe. But in Isaiah 45 and verse number 18, the Bible says, uh, for thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Job 26, 7 said, He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. So when God created uh, he, created, he created the earth and suspended it in space. You remember they used to believe that uh, the earth was flat and it was supported by four giant elephants that held it up. And then, uh, then man finally learned that the earth was round and God said he, he hung the earth on nothing. And you look at it from the space shuttle and there's nothing under it, is there? And as everything is traveling through space, God created all. Why don't you turn back to the book of Genesis? And, and I want to show you a little bit about the creation here. Uh, in Genesis 1, 1. Now we have four words I want to point out in Genesis 1 and 2. 
in uh, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now here's where it all started as far as the earth is concerned. In the beginning God created the heaven and earth. Now they're talking about finding life in, in, in other, on other planets. And uh, you know, uh, I can tell you there's no life, there's no little green men on Mars. There's no life on the moon, that's already been determined. There's no life on any other planets. There's no life, human life, anywhere in the universe. Because the Bible said, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath it given to the children of men. And God created the earth specifically for man. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now that means God started with nothing. And all that you see in the universe, the stars and the planets and the earth and the sun, the moon and everything, God created it out of nothing. God created all that in the beginning. And you have this word used in verse uh, 20, uh, 21, and God created great whales, and every living creature that moveth with the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every wing fell after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And then you also have it in verse 26 and 27, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Three times in, in this chapter you have the word create, which means to make something out of nothing. God created the heaven and the earth out of nothing. He created the hells out of nothing, and he created man out of nothing. That is, when he put the soul in man. Now, uh, the Hebrew word there is B-A-R-A, bara. Then you have another word used in verse 7. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were above the firm, uh, which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Verse 16, And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. This is A-S-A-H, Hebrew, which is translated here, made. And it means to fashion out of what already exists. Now in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And when he did that, he created everything, created the earth, created all the stars, created everything that's, that we have. And here we have God fashioning out of all, what already exists. Then we have the word formed in verse 7 of chapter 2. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. It's a different word, Y-A-T-S-A-R, means formed to press into shape through squeezing. God took something already existed, see. When he, when he made the man's body, he formed him from the dust of the ground. Now when God in Genesis 1-1, God created the dust of the ground. Here he takes something that is already created in the beginning and he makes something else. He makes a man out of the dust of the ground. I don't think God just went out and grabbed up a handful of dirt. He may have, but... Uh, I think rather God took of the minerals and, and of the dust and minerals of the earth and made man, formed man. At, uh, because in your body, you know, there's, there's all minerals and, 
and different things. You, uh, uh, I know I had uh, my water tested, and, and if you ever do that to find the, the chemical makeup and the mineral content of water, it will surprise you. There's arsenic in there, and there's lead and copper and, and, and iron and, and all, all these minerals of the earth in the water, and it's also in your body. I take a vitamin every day, and then that vitamin has, has all kinds of stuff in it. It has iron and copper and uh, potassium and, and uh, all these vitamins and minerals in that little pill. I wonder sometimes how if it does you any good. My wife lays it out every morning, so I swallow it. And, uh, but uh, anyway, the... Uh, the, the word here God takes of the dust of the ground and, and makes a man. And then, and also in, in verse 22, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And this is a different word, B-A-N-A-H, which means to build. So God uh, built a woman. Did a pretty good job, didn't he? And, and he brings a woman unto the man. So, so here we have the creation of God. And you can read, we'll not go into all the details of that creation, but it's there in Genesis 1 and 2. Now, only God can create. I mean, I may, I may be able to take a few pieces of lumber and build something out of it, but I can't create. You know, they, they talk about a creative mind, and, and they talk about a creative person. Well, I think that's a misapplication of the word, really. Uh, only God can create. I'm always reminded of the, of the story of the, of the scientist, the professor, at, uh, that stood before his class, and he had two, two little brown seeds. And he said, I have before you two seeds. He said, these seeds are exactly alike in weight, in size, in color, in, in their chemical makeup, he said, these seeds are identical. But he said, if I plant these seeds, only one seed will grow because that seed has in it something we call life. He said, the other seed was formed, and I formed this seed or was formed in the laboratory. said, the, uh, the other seed was analyzed, and this seed is identical to the other seed. But he said, this seed will not grow because it does not have that thing we call life. And life is amazing, isn't it? Isn't it unusual? Have you ever thought about life? Have you ever thought about a little grain of corn and that, that little grain of corn is all swiveled up or a bean? And you take those beans, I, I plant usually every year uh, some cornfield beans, Mountain cornfield. I tried to buy some cornfield bean seed one time, and they didn't know what I was talking about. Uh, I'm talking about the little greasy uh, shortcut, whatever you want to call them. Well, we call them cornfield up in the mountains where I grew up. And uh, but uh, I used to save some of those seed every year and and dry those beans out, and they get good and dry, and I put them in the freezer. And, uh, and, uh, but if you, if you carefully break one of those beans open, you will find in the center of that bean start of, of, a, of a sprout. It's dry, it's dead, and, uh, uh, but, uh, but that has that quality of life that God put 
in everything when he created it. And he talks about it there in Genesis. When he created, when he created the, uh, the plant life and when he created man and when, he, when he, he created the ability to reproduce after its kind. And that's uh, an argument for creation against evolution. That everything brings forth after its kind. You cannot cross the kinds. Uh, only God can create. Then not, not only that, but only God can save. Again, in Isaiah 45 and uh, verse, uh, verse 19, he said, I have not spoken it in secret in the dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, Seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteous as I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together. Ye that are escaped to the nations that have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Well, God's word's very plain and very clear. Nobody, only God can save you. Now this has perplexed mankind for centuries. Man may, tries to save himself. But I'm going to tell you, man cannot save himself. Idols cannot save. Religion cannot save. Joining a Baptist church don't save you. Joining any other church doesn't save you. Only God can save a man. And uh, in Acts 4 verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Nobody can save you but God because man has a condition that only God can fix. Going back to creation, only God can create. And salvation requires a creative act of God. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, if, if, if salvation requires a creation of God, then who must save? Only God, right? Because I can't save myself because I don't have creative power. And salvation requires that power. In John 7, 68, Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thy hast the words of eternal life. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 27 and 28, he mocks the idols and said, Saying to a stock, Thou art my father, and to a stone, Thy hast brought me forth. For they have turned their back unto me, and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, Arise and save us. Where are thy gods that thou hast made thee? Let them arise that they can save thee in the time of thy trouble. For according to the number of thy cities are thy gods, O Judah. Well, these idol gods could not save them, and they can't save us. And I want to tell you the Jesus that some, some people preach is not the Jesus of the Bible, and that Jesus cannot save. Only the Jesus of the Bible, only the God of the Bible can save. So only God can create. Only God can save. And thirdly, only God can keep you saved. One reason some people don't come to Christ is they're afraid they can't hang on. Well, I agree, you can't. Or say, well, I'm afraid I can't, I'm afraid I can't keep saved. You can't, you're right. 
Only God can keep you saved. And God doesn't leave it up to us. If God left it up to me, I would be hopeless and lost without God and without hope. Not only does God save, but God keeps us saved. It is His power, not our power. 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul said, For I know whom, he says, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that, which I have committed unto him against that day. And so uh, the Lord said, uh, Paul said there, uh, that, uh, that I've committed to the Lord, and he's going to keep me. Why don't you turn to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1. I, I love this scripture. The book of 1 Peter in chapter number 1. Page 1311, good page number there. And uh, that's their, if you ever want to write the church or me, that's the post office number, post office box 1311. So page 1311, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 and 5. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Now the Bible says here that we have an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and fades not away, reserved in heaven. Wouldn't it be nice to have a house you never had any upkeep on, never had to repair? You know, uh, some people uh, debate the, the matter of renting or buying or owning or whatever, and you know, uh, uh, but uh, you, you pay one way or another, I guess, don't you? There's always repair. Always something to fix. Always something goes wrong. I've had some little pinholes coming in my uh, water line. I put copper. I, when I was building the house, I, 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 I thought I was going to put plastic, and the plumber recommended I put, uh, I put copper. I wished I hadn't now. <laughs> but if I'd have put the other, I might have had other problems. I don't know. But uh, there's always something to fix. Always repairs to be made. But the Bible said there's inheritance in heaven that won't ever need any repair. It's reserved in heaven for you. And verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What good would it do for God to have a place in heaven for us, reserved for us, if we didn't show up? You know, most of the time, if you make a reservation for a motel room, you have to guarantee it with a credit card, which means if you don't, if you don't arrive, they'll charge you anyway. If you don't let them know, uh, it at a, a, they say now you might, the cancellation time is such and such a time, you, if you can't come, you let us know by that time, or basically you still pay. But I'm glad it's not that way in heaven. I've got a room reserved in heaven. I've got a mansion. In my Father's house are many mansions. And I've got a mansion reserved there. And you know something? I'm going to show up. Because <laughs> God's going to make sure that I show up. <laughs> he didn't leave it up to me. He, uh, you know, I don't believe that heaven will be filled with empty mansions that are unoccupied, that people didn't make it, they didn't get there. So there's nobody to, nobody to fill that place. I believe that every place will be filled because the Lord said in John, all that thou gavest me I have kept and none of them is lost but the son of perdition and he was a devil to start with according to the Bible. So we're kept by the power of God. Jude verse 24, Now to him that is able to keep you from falling 
and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy unto him that's able to keep you from falling. Am I able to keep myself from falling? No. Now you may not be convinced of that, but I, if there's one thing I'm convinced of beyond any shadow of a doubt, if I have to work my way to heaven, I don't have any chance at all. They used to talk about a Chinaman chance, whatever that means. But uh, I just don't have any hope. If it's up to me, if it's up to me, forget it. If it's, if it's my goodness that gets me there, forget it. If I have to keep myself safe, forget it. But my Bible tells me that God is the one that does the keeping. So only God can do that. Now listen, you can't do it. I can't do it. And God knew that. So God fixed it to where he'd take care of it. <laughs> Lord said, I'll, I'll handle it. I know you can't. <laughs> and so I'm going to take care of that situation myself. Hebrews 4.12, now the word of God is quick and powerful. It's alive and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing the center of soul and spirit and the joints of marrow. It is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is the agent of the new birth, being born again, not of crutchable seed, but of incrutchable by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, 1 Peter 1.23. Now, uh, He saves us, He quickens us in the new birth, and he's also going to quicken us in the resurrection. Romans 8, 11, But the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. And so the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave is going to bring us out of the grave one day uh, by the power of the resurrection. I love that scripture in Ezekiel 37 and I realize the primary interpretation there is talking about the nation of Israel, but God takes Jeremiah to a valley full of dry bones and uh, bones scattered everywhere. And the Lord says, Son of man, can these bones live? <laughs> what would you say? Say, man, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> these bones are dry, very dry. They, these bones are dead. Can these bones live? What kind of question is that? <laughs> He said, Son of man, prophesy to these bones. And there was a great shaking in the valley. <laughs> and the bones came to bone, and the bones joined up each other. You know, if God, you know, God was showing a great truth there, wasn't he? And the, the, the flesh, the, the muscles grew on the bones, and the sinews and the flesh came on the bones, and they stood up a great army. But there was no breath in them. And he said, prophesy. And the breath of God, the wind of God, the breath of God came, and they became alive with a great army. And he said, the nation of Israel, that's what I'm going to do to the nation of Israel. But I believe it has also a, a type. It's a type of the resurrection of the body. God knew exactly which bone belonged to which body, didn't he? The person may, you know, person may have been killed on the battlefield, blowed up. They may have gathered up part of the body and sent it back, and the rest of it may be in some other country. But God can bring it all together. Listen, if God can take the dust of the earth and make a man to start with, if God can gather all that up and make a man to start with, don't you worry, God can put it all back together. And so the Lord is able to resurrect that body. And Job said, though the skin worms destroy this, this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. They say that every, they say that every, uh, they used to say every seven years. I've heard different figures now. Some said every seven days we get a, totally new body. 
And I mean, if God can do that and us still live and retain our personality, the cells of our body are all dying all the time and they are, and new cells are replacing those dying cells and it's a process that continues, yet we retain our identity. Don't you think God can, can do it in the resurrection? Sure he can. We have a great God that's able to do all things. And so, so the Lord uh, gives this wonderful truth over in, over in the book of 1 Corinthians 15. And, and let me just turn there, uh, if I may, 1 Corinthians 15, about the resurrection. And they ask the question in verse 35, page 1227 of Schofield Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, 35, but some man will say, How are the dead raised up? With what body do they come? Thy fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And, thy, and that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may change of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. And every seed his own body. And he uses the, the, uh, an illustration from botany about, about the seed and how you plant the corn. They don't get confused. That corn seed dies and, and, and rots, but out of that comes forth life. And the beans bring forth beans and all that. And, uh, and he, uh, I, when I read that, I'm reminded of a, uh, of a story I read that over in one of the pyramids of Egypt, they found some seeds. And they estimated those seeds had been there over 3,000 years. And they took some of those seeds and they planted them. You know something? It grew. 3,000 year old seed grew. If God can take a 3,000 year old seed and that seed grow, can God bring about the resurrection? Sure. He can take care of it. And then he uses illustration from the zoology about the animals, the difference in the flesh of beasts and of fishes and of birds. And then he uses from astronomy, the heavenly bodies, the celestial bodies, and uh, which is heavenly and bodies terrestrial, which is earthly. And he goes on and talks about the resurrection and how we will retain our identity in heaven. We will have a glorified body, but we will retain our individuality and our identity when we get to heaven. Uh, and uh, there's wonderful truth taught there in, in, these, in this scripture. We'll not go into all the details of that. But I want to tell you, God has the power to recreate these bodies and resurrect the glorify these old bodies and bring them out of the grave. I believe that. He's my hope. He's the one I'm trusting in. I hope you are today and you've trusted him or you, as your Savior and you're dependent on him. He'll not fail you. Let's bow our heads, please.